welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. And welcome to another late night edition of the podcast. I know that this has somehow managed to become the quote unquote new normal. I promise to get back onto a regular sleep schedule at some point. But as long as I can't sleep, you get great content, right? So there is uh, that to be thankful for. Thank you, by the way, to everybody who's in the live streaming audience. And also, tonight's uh, episode is going to be very interesting. First of all, thank you also for the audio-only listeners. We are catching up on the back catalog of content. I believe we're up to uh, episode uh, 45 now. Uh, we definitely have made progress since the episode uh, with my good friend Sarah Dietschy. Uh, talking about uh, what it's like to be a full-time YouTuber, sponsorships, brand deals. We're going to be talking more about YouTube and YouTuber secrets, the things that big YouTubers never share. We're going to talk a lot about that this evening. Uh, and that's definitely going to include a little bit of uh, information about sponsorship and things all of you want to know. And I, I am going to get into a lot of specifics and details throughout this podcast. Some of it will be technical uh, this will not be the usual stuff. Some of this might even feel a little bit advanced. So for anybody that uh, feels like this might be going over their head, I, I definitely apologize for that. But I just want to give you stuff that you wouldn't normally be getting. Uh, but as for things that you will normally be getting, uh, let's go ahead and have a word from our sponsors. We thrive thanks to the support from our sponsors. Here's a word from one of them. You know, being a full-time creator is actually something that is really difficult because you have to actually treat YouTube like a business. And you know who actually helps a lot with that? Today's sponsor, Creative Juice. Creative Juice is providing financial tools and services for content creators like you and like me. I actually use Creative Juice myself, and you can sign up for a free Juice Bank account with the link in the description below. And if you fund a Juice Bank account, which costs you $0 to sign up for, you also can get, I believe it's $10 free right now using my code, if you apply my code, uh, Roberto Juice. That information is also linked in the show notes and the description down below. Creative Juice is actually uh, a wonderful support. It's also something that I'm investing in as an angel investor with my own money, full transparency, as well as other large creators like Mr. Beast, Graham Stephan, and also uh, Justin Khan, formerly of Twitch, as well as Shelby Church, and many, many other creators that you know and you respect believe in this a company and this service, and we're putting our own money and our own uh, reputations behind it for a good reason. So be like uh, others in the community. Take your business and your content seriously. Sign up for a free Creative Juice account and get wonderful financial tools like the ability to invoice for your brand deals, get earlier access to your YouTube AdSense uh, through their uh, Juice Boost uh, feature, and also get some other cool information and data about the financial health of your YouTube channel. Thank you to Creative Juice for sponsoring today's episode 
of the podcast. And now back to the show. So let's let's talk about some of the things that most big YouTubers don't share. Uh, in a previous episode about creator mental health, we got into obviously some of the um, ups and downs of being uh, successful and also how things change once you reach a certain status or position. But rather than continue to dwell on that, uh, even though the mental health aspect of YouTube is super important and more people should talk about it, let's talk about the business side of YouTube and being a YouTuber. And let's talk about some things that uh, most creators do not share. Now, when it comes to this, one of the things I also want to do is, again, in full transparency, I'm generally transparent with you about data through my main YouTube channel. Those of you who follow me on Twitter know that I'm very open about things like AdSense earnings. Uh, many of you know that I'm very open about um, how my channel um, does, not even just in terms of its performance, but also in terms of its finances. And so something that I'm going to share with you is the thing that is rarely shared. Um, my complete YouTube channel, even though it wouldn't look like it on the surface, it did extraordinarily well in uh, 2021. Uh, my YouTube channel helped with my overall brand and business. And in total, my YouTube channel uh, for 2021 even though the AdSense earnings or rather the YouTube monetization earnings, we'll separate this out in a bit. Um, even though that from an AdSense or YouTube channel earnings standpoint was estimated for 2021 to be $77,000, which on 2.7 million views uh, and 41K new subscribers um, added to the pool, uh, that's pretty great considering that I didn't upload that much and that I don't make viral content, I make uh, information-based content. This is actually really um, tremendous overall, but this is actually a fraction of what my channel actually made. When you count sponsorships, affiliate revenue, and also the earnings from my coaching business, Awesome Creator Academy, and um, a few other revenue streams here and today, my business as a content creator did over $400,000 in uh, gross revenue in the year 2021. Now don't get too excited and don't clap for me too hard because uh, the thing you have to understand is I paid a lot in taxes and I also spent a lot on my business. I spent um, probably more than 50% of that income back into the business itself. My largest expenses being um, uh, the payroll for my part-time employees. I don't have full-time employees. I have part-time employees. I have contractors. I have freelancers. I mostly work with friends and family or established freelancers that I've had long-term relationships with. So most of the money went back into that. And then I don't lifestyle flex. Most of my money that I would keep in terms of my net profits that doesn't go back into things and doesn't go into like uh, taxes, I put that away into investments and retirement accounts for my long-term future because I did not start investing or set up any retirement until I was already um, into my 30s. I didn't start uh, investing until I was about maybe 32 or 33 years old in terms of my retirement. Um, I had savings, but um, I had not accumulated money in my 20s. As many of you know, I was broke in my 20s. I did not start earning and becoming successful into my 30s. I will be 38 this year. So for me, even with making multiple six figures, even with substantial income on the business side of YouTube, Running a business means that you put money back into your business. And if you're familiar with Mr. Beast, he spends almost everything he can back into growing his YouTube channel. 
I spend my money, invest it into my business. And a combination of that is my biggest expenses were my team and outsourcing. And then also I pay for the software for my team members, which means I'm paying for multiple Adobe Creative Cloud full licenses. I'm paying for multiple team seating of things like uh, Canva Pro and just different other various softwares. So our software expenses within the business are probably about $1,500, $1,800 a month on average for the software for everybody, plus our automations, our services, our auditing tools. Um, I pay for accountants on top of everything um, and CPAs uh, throughout the year. There are other professional services that have to pay through throughout the year, health insurance, business insurance. It all adds up to quite a bit to have a team and to put the money back into your business. So one of the things YouTubers do not share with you is how much money they spend. Some of them will say how much money they make, but they will not tell you how much money they spend back into their business, back into their brand. I also invested heavily into um, equipment upgrades and not just equipment upgrades for my own, um, but also, again, I had to do that because as many of you have seen and um, you guys are appreciating this, um, the, the live streaming setup, perfecting the live streaming setup was a tremendous expense. And then with trying and wanting to expand the quality and quantity of the content, we also had to invest heavily into backup resources in terms of multiple hard drives. And then one of the other things that we, we looked at um, is that uh, I invested into my team having better hardware. In addition to me paying for software licenses, we paid for members of my team to have better hardware. So that was an investment that I made directly. Um, so one of the things is I hire friends and family. My sisters work for me um, and I needed them to have um, very specific resources. So uh, they both got uh, new laptops to help with that. We also have extra cameras here on site because they are doing the photography and video for behind the scenes and for the B-roll for the channel. Um, one of my sisters is going to be taking on some editing for one of the other YouTube channels we're doing. And there's a lot going on with that. There was also an investment in rebuilding um, the home office once I moved. So I moved in October. I became a homeowner and it became time to start to um, recreate this office so that the experience could be consistent in a way that the audience expects. But I'm also renovating the basement to be a full um, workspace for all of us to be able to work more efficiently and effectively. But that's going to take me a year and a half of renovations to the basement. There was a heavy investment in rewiring everything here to have Ethernet. This house was never wired for the Internet. That's another thing. I moved into a house that never actually had wiring for the Internet. Uh, this was They had a dish network and satellite. So I had to spend maybe... $15,000 into Ethernet hardwiring and advanced high-speed um, wireless access points. So there are three wireless access points uh, in the house. There's one in the east wing, west wing, and then one in the uh, basement to create a mesh bubble. And there was also a server uh, cabinet we had to build out in the basement. It was a massive, massive undertaking. Uh, the other thing is in uh, 2021, I actually had uh, my custom-built PC 
with the Windows 11 update had a massive problem that made it not even able to properly boot consistently. So I had to um, invest completely in moving into an Apple uh, ecosystem for streaming and for editing and uh, do a lot of those things. And so that was a heavy investment as well to get a fully specced out Mac mini, order the new MacBook Pro and just completely uh, for content creation purposes, leave Windows and migrate everything to Apple. And that was not a that was not a small thing to do. So a lot of the investment back into the business was infrastructure in hardware, software, streaming capabilities, um, production, outsourcing, staffing, team building. Uh, and then another aspect of YouTube in the business side, and we can talk about uh, more stuff here in the background with analytics and AdSense and things like that. But what a lot of people discount is uh, everything you have to do to protect your your YouTube business and your online business as a social media content creator. Um, insurance is expensive, and so you need liability media coverage. And you also need equipment insurance in case any of your equipment's damaged. And you need to also make sure you have warranties for everything. You also need liability insurance if you have a staff or for any time you're doing collabs. And so if anyone's taken care of, anyone's injured, you also have to do payroll taxes, self-employment taxes on the accounting side. You also, depending on your state, your state regulations, you have to pay for uh, things like uh, workers' compensation. You have to fund that. So this is stuff that nobody in the creator space talks about is that you have to make sure that you're uh, paying and keeping up with all of your insurance. You have to save and put aside money for your taxes and pay that um, however you're going to approach it monthly, yearly, quarterly, however you want and however your, your accountants agree to you with. So you have to do all of that. And it's quite a bit. It's a massive undertaking. And you also have to make sure that you're doing proper bookkeeping for tax purposes, this is not something you can just go to H&R Block and do. So this is this is very important. And I'll link to some of these resources down below. I use um, Gusto for my payroll and HR portal. Very important. And I use Bench Accounting uh, for my CPAs and my bookkeeping service. So these are very important things to make sure you're in compliance. Because if you're a YouTube content creator, you have to be in compliance with the law of your land. That's you have to make sure you're um, honoring all the state regulations with regard to the Department of Labor. You have to set up a Department of Labor account number if you're running a business. You want to incorporate probably as an LLC or an S Corp. This is not legal or financial advice, but this is something you should be looking into on your own. You want to make sure you have that. You want to separate yourself as a legal entity. You're going to want to make sure that you have the proper insurance for that. Don't skimp on healthcare coverage. My biggest expense, probably my personal expenses, is the insurance. Because it's not just the insurance for myself and the business and the equipment and my healthcare coverage. You want to have things uh, like a, a comprehensive life insurance policy for your loved ones. You also want to have, um, a uh, if you're a homeowner, you definitely want to have some type of mortgage insurance in case you're incapacitated and can't work. You also want to have... Um, some type of a potential, depending on your age, you might want to look into what's called a catastrophic insurance policy. You might want to have stuff in case of, um, you know, accidents or in case you're incapacitated in terms of a way to, um, to cover that. So that those are all things that are extremely important to do. Um, the sensory strut says, at what point in your journey do you decide to become an LLC? Uh, very early, very quickly. Um, I already had experience with this as a freelancer, 
And so I had a DBA, a doing business as. So another thing you might not know is if you're a, if you're a small YouTuber and you're not fully ready to go the LLC route and separate yourself as a legal entity, you might want to get what's called a DBA, a doing business as if you live in the United States. And what that will do is that'll give you the legal ability and the financial ability to accept payment checks and go by a stage name. A lot of people in entertainment do this when they're first getting started. So um, if you're using a stage name or a pseudonym or a nickname or a social media handle, and you don't want to have to put your legal name out there, but you want to accept payment under your stage main, you might want to go to your local bank and you might want to um, talk to them about setting up a business bank account and you want to incorporate um, what's called a doing business as, and you'll do that through you could do that through something like Z LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer or any of those. You can get a DBA, a doing business as. It'll be cheaper than setting up an LLC. It's very inexpensive. And what you're going to want to do is then set up a tax IEN number with your bank. And you're going to want to um, you know, just have a separate stage name that you can receive checks and payments through. You're going to want to set up a business bank account in that name. And then that's going to allow you to also separate your finances. A lot of people don't realize... If you're a content creator, you should be separating your finances. It's not okay to just have your money going just to a regular bank account for your AdSense. You want a business account. This is one of the other good reasons you could sign up for like Creative Juice and have some of that separation um, and not have it commingling with your regular bank account. At least for the incoming money, you could always send it out to that account later and pay yourself. Uh, if you're not uh, set up as an LLC or an S-Corp, uh, putting yourself on payroll and making yourself a W-2 in your own business, you can do what's called an owner's draw. Again, none of this is financial advice. Talk to a CPA, talk to accountants, talk to financial experts, maybe get a financial advisor. Some of you don't realize you can go to your bank and you can actually talk to someone. They won't be a fiduciary, but they will be like a financial advisor. And you can talk to them and start to try to get more educated. And they will set an appointment with you. Most of them you can do this with your bank for free. A lot of people don't realize they can have a free consultation with their bank and they can start to explain their situation, ask for advice, and you can become a lot more financially savvy and they can help educate you. It's very practical to do something like that and it can be extremely helpful. Um, and uh, like I would not underestimate the value of doing something like that. Um, a lot of you could benefit. A lot of you could benefit just from having that conversation and it's worth being it's worth being even slightly more educated to be honest about these things it's worth even being just a little bit more educated about it so um from that standpoint i definitely think more of you could benefit from just becoming even a little financially savvy a little financially literate um so so like i and again some of you are like, well, I'm not making money yet. But the thing is, if you plan to, if you plan to do something as a career, you don't wait for results because the results are implied if you're serious. If you're serious and you believe you can and will be successful, you should act as if you're going to be successful. You should put these things in place. It's not like you're wasting fabulous sums of money by setting yourself up properly because the downside is if you are very successful at any point and you're not prepared, it's too late in many, or it's going to hurt. So there's no point in waiting until results manifest if it's not the type of money that will represent a, a very painful hardship for you. Don't pinch pennies on being prepared. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So I, I wouldn't hesitate on this too much.
Um, you know, uh, there's another business that I'm starting. I'm starting a, a, a business uh, with uh, some family members, and I, I don't expect anything to manifest from this business until at least three to five years from now, depending on the market. Um, and I've just went ahead and I incorporated that business. I went ahead and paid money to incorporate that business now, and I don't expect to make any money on that business for three to five years. Um, now, again, I am in a different financial position to where that that money to incorporate that um, LLC doesn't represent a hardship for me, but you know that's something that I want you to consider more. Is like if it's not a hardship for you, just be in a position where you're making sure that you're prepared well in advance of any success that might come your way. And so uh, I definitely want to make sure that I'm answering some questions from the live chat. So if you have questions, please feel free to ask them. But one of the, some of the things that people never share about YouTube success, like I said, is like, well, what are your, like, what do you do on the business end? When did you like, you know, what do you do about an LLC versus S corp? What do you do about uh, payment processing uh, with payment processing? I have, like I said, I have a juice bank account. They are a sponsor, but I also believe in it. I put my money in it. I trust them with my money. It saves me money on the PayPal fees. You know, I love PayPal. PayPal's been a sponsor of the main channel before for PayPal for business. And I have PayPal for business, but you know what else we paid in fee? Like, I'll tell you this, in fees and payment processor fees and bank fees, we paid over $8,000 last year in just fees. We paid over $8,000 last year in just fees. I've paid hundreds of dollars coming in on uh, things for uh, money coming in to PayPal. I've paid hundreds of dollars on thousands of dollars, and then I've paid tens of dollars on the money going out to my actual bank account. Um, and that adds up over the course of 12 months. That adds up to thousands of dollars. And so between the banks and PayPal and even Stripe, um, we've paid like, you know, um, over $8,000 in uh fees in uh fees and transfer fees so you know that's um that's the issue uh james dean has some great advice also if you're worried about doxing use a registered agent to create your dba or llc so your personal address and name doesn't have to be on the filing absolutely that's good advice here's another one you could do you could also set up a virtual office that has a physical address and not a p.o box you could also do that with uh, WeWork, and you can use that. And then uh, for me, I use that address whenever I sign up for any websites. I use that address instead of my own personal address. And that's something you also do need to protect yourself from being doxxed, and that actually helps a lot. Obi Toy says, uh, "Social Blue Book says I should charge six to nine k for a dedicated brand video." Nice. I have sixty-three point five k subscribers, thirteen million views total. Does this amount of money seem high? Do you trust social blue book values? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know your situation and I don't know your content enough to make a judgment about that. I'll tell you this. I don't trust any system to tell me my values. I set my prices myself. And that's not a satisfactory answer for most of you because most of you just want to plug in your views and your subscribers into a calculator, into a formula and say, oh, that's my price. You don't want to think harder about it than that. I've done videos about brand deals. Honestly, all of y'all, I don't use calculators. I don't believe in them. Social Blue Book's a great company. I know the founders of that, and I like Social Blue Book, but I don't use. I don't believe in using calculators to determine my value because they're intangibles that I can't plug into a calculator that determine my value and my relationship equity. 
So I don't use them. I make a determination about that based on um, criteria that is not objectively measurable in those ways as well, or that's not going to be able to be put into those calculators. So um, that's that's just something to consider. Um, the Shello online says, when is it time to incorporate and become an LLC? I would say if you have the money to do it and you know what you want your name to be, that there's not a better time than that. Um, some people say, oh, when I'm making money, oh, when I'm like, I just like, look, I don't think there's any downside to having an LLC. I think there's zero downside to already having an LLC. If anyone can come up with a downside to having an LLC or an S corp, please tell me what you think the downside is. Cause the only downside I can see is you can't afford it. And the money would be better spent elsewhere is the only argument I could say for not start, not doing one. The only argument for not just going ahead and doing one is if you really just don't believe you'll, if you, which I don't know why this would be true if you want to do YouTube or be a content creator, but if you don't believe you're ever going to make any money, that would be a reason. But if that's the case, why are you doing it? Um, and the other one would be if the money that you would spend on incorporating represents a hardship for you right in this moment, or that money would be better spent somewhere else, then that makes sense as to when not to do it. But other than that, if you have the money and you do believe that at some point you will be successful and be making money, there's no reason not to just go ahead and incorporate an LLC. So if you're wondering like I think when when and this is no um, offense to the cello online. Thank you for the fifteen dollars super chat. It's that I feel like when people are asking this question, what they're asking for is permission to start or permission to delay. I feel like this is asking for either permission to start or permission to delay. So I don't think it matters how much money you're making or not making in terms of owning an LLC. I don't think it matters how much money you're making or not making in terms of having your local business license in place. If you are serious about doing this as a career, you will need that anyway. If you are going to do this as a career, you will need that LLC or S corporation. You will need that DBA. You will need that business license. You will need that business bank account regardless. So now the only issue is, can you afford it? Is affording it a financial hardship? In which case, that's a reason to delay. Or is that money currently better spent elsewhere? That's the only other reason to delay doing this. If you're planning for it to seriously be a career and you believe that it is a successful career and you believe that it is viable, which is why you should be doing it, meaning that it's not a hobby for you. If it's not a hobby for you and you're being honest about that, then you should just do it if you can afford it. If you feel it represents a financial hardship for you, then you have to move accordingly to that. And as your circumstances allow for you and your family in terms of what's reasonable to put money into versus not reasonable to put money into. But the answer of whether you should incorporate is, is this a career and a business or is it a hobby? That's the real only question when it comes to that. Because if you believe that it's going to be successful, and you believe it will make money at some point, there is not a downside to having this. There's not a downside. So that's, but the thing is, if if you don't think you're going to make money, now granted, um, now granted, you may not have made any money yet, but if you believe this will be a career or you desire it to be a career, you have to risk investing in something as a career, knowing that it may not work out. 
the thing is, you know what? People invest money into their uh, career in sports as a student athlete, knowing that they probably have no intention of being a professional athlete or a college athlete, but they put the money in during their high school career and they just suck it up and they do it. But people are very resistant or very reluctant to put money into their career as an artist, a content creator, or any of that because it hasn't made yet money yet or it's not going to make money yet. Yet people have no problem putting money into other hobbies that have no hope of making them money. People have no problem putting money into their sports stuff even though they know they're not going to go pro. They have no problem putting money into their video games and comic books knowing they will not make money off of those things or that they won't sell them or whatever or their hobbies. We put money into designer clothes or shoes with no hope of ever flipping it and making money. So what's the problem with putting money into your content creator career? Even if you don't make it back, you are going to spend money. We're not, let's not pretend that we're going to take the money that we would otherwise put into YouTube and that we're going to invest it in stocks or real estate, or that we're going to put in our savings account. Let's not pretend that that's true because it's not, we're not going to do that. We'd already be doing it, you know? So that's, that's the case. So you might as well spend money into building your YouTube career and just say, well, I'm going to cut out my other vices. I'm not going to go clubbing anymore. I'm not going to buy video games for a while. I'm not going to buy the newest console. Uh, I'm not going to buy these sneakers. I'm not going to buy these heels. I'm not going to buy the handbag. I'm not going to buy the hoodie. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Or I'm not going to go buy sushi, whatever it is. You have some vice, some hobby, something that you can cut out that then you can say, all right, that money goes into my content creator career. Because, I mean, that's that's literally, th even me, even me at my income bracket and my income level, y'all, I don't really spend money outside of my business that much. Like I said, I only spend it on practical things. I'm not saying I only, I mean, yeah, I'll go and I'll get like a coffee or something. That's nothing though. Um, but I still mostly only upgrade my phones every two years. Um you know, I largely, when I buy new cameras, I sell the old ones. You guys know that if you follow me on Twitter, because some of you have bought my used camera gear that has been well-loved at a good price. Um, I largely don't put money into, I mean, I have a few hobbies. I still collect Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Pokemon cards, and now I buy sealed box sets because those will be worth money in the future. Um, and I don't open them, and some packs I do open. Um, and... Uh, I have a few hobbies, but they represent a negligible amount of my income at this point. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, in 2021, yes, I did $400,000 a year. I spent more than half of it back into my business. And then the money I didn't spend back into my business, I spent it back into becoming a homeowner, getting this house. And then I immediately had to spend it into renovating this house to rewire the electricity to be safe because the house was out of code because this house is from the 80s. This house is almost as old as I am. This house is uh, really old, but it was well-loved, but it was out of code. I had to spend thousands of dollars updating the electrical, uh, getting CO2 carbon monoxide detectors to make it safe, and then I had to rewire it for internet because it never had it, never had it. And then I had to do other move-in protocols and things, and then I actually had to do the basics to, in addition to building out my home office again. Um, there's the expense of moving during a pandemic. I had to do a COVID clean, and then I had to also do some general renovations and general contractor stuff. There was um, a lot that had to go into that. So my any personal frivolous spending I would have done 
was invested into becoming a homeowner and also making sure that my home is safe, up to date, and that I can work from home. Um, so I spend my money back into my business and then I spent my money back into that. And other than that, what I did was I've made up for the, the inability to invest and put together the beginnings of a retirement account in my twenties. I've been spending all of my money in my thirties into catching up on my retirement savings this entire time. I've been catching up on my retirement savings this entire time. Cause I never did it in my twenties cause I never had extra money I never had extra money. So I, I, I invest it. And that's another thing that YouTubers don't talk about. I mean, aside from when they make videos that monetize it, a lot of them don't talk to you about, well, what do they do with their money outside of the obvious of like, okay, I spend this much money and I spend money on my team. I spend money on my taxes. I spend money on my accounting. I spend money on all these behind the scenes things, or I spend money on equipment. The equipment stuff is obvious, you know, especially those of you who are uh, fans of the podcast, the equipment stuff is obvious. So with, with me, uh, what, what gets spent outside of the core of what goes back into the YouTube channel, the podcast, Awesome Creator Academy, uh, I'll talk about the money that I've spent into building out the music channel in a bit and uh, some of my other ventures. Um, the, the main things are that in life, aside from insurance, health, fitness, eating well, um, a lot of it's insurance protections. A lot of it is, like I said, homeowner's policy, uh, life insurance, accident insurance, uh, mortgage insurance. It's just like there are, at this point, I have 10 insurance policies. That's And that's a lot of money. That eats up a lot of money. That's like a lot of money every year. I probably spend a significant portion. I probably spend my old salary a year, per year, just in the multiple levels of insurance policies that I have to have to protect myself. Um, and that's... Uh, that's real. That's very, um, that's very, it's very practical at the same time. Um, yes, Ryan, affiliate money is uh, insane, even if it's not the main source of income. So, I mean, I can tell you the breakdowns of this. Um, awesome Creator Academy over the course of, um, let's see. Um, over the course of the last 12 months, actually, I could probably just pull the stats for um, January to January. So let me try and pull that. But Awesome Creator Academy, my coaching business, did, oh, excuse me, did about, um, I want to say like $100,000 um, from January 1st of 2021 through... Um, through December 31st or January 1st of 2022. So let me pull those numbers because I think I have those exact numbers. Um, let me see. I think I have those exact numbers. So uh, Awesome Creator Academy did like 100 grand, I think. Um, the YouTube uh, monetization, again, not all of that was ad revenue. Part of that was YouTube brand connect. So ad revenue was probably closer to like almost 40,000. So let's see, ad revenue was 40,000. Brand deals was probably 150,000. Uh, awesome Creator Academy was... So let's see here. 
Awesome Creator Academy was 103,000 for 2021 for sure. So it was 100 grand. AdSense, not all of this is ad revenue. We're just calling it AdSense, but like some of it was YouTube Brand Connect, which is still brand deal stuff. Then combined with the brand deals outside of this, uh, brand deals was 150. Ad revenue was almost 40. So chalk that up to like what, like 190. Awesome Creator Academy is 100,000. That's 290. And so the rest was largely um, a good portion of that was affiliate marketing. Uh, 5,000 of it was ver public speaking at a virtual summit. And then the rest was other affiliate programs or something like that. So affiliate programs is probably something in like uh, 80, 85,000. Ad revenue is 40,000. Uh, sponsors was like uh, 150,000. And then coaching was like 100,000. So that's what made up the 400,000 um, figure. Um, so that's, that's how that worked out. Well, it's a lot to run an effective business. Oh, it's absolutely a lot to run an effective business. It's just, um, this is the behind the scenes. This is the inside baseball uh, y'all. This is the bin the inside baseball y'all. So yeah, the, and I know some people are skeptical and may not want to believe, um, affiliate revenue can pay that much. I mean, I can actually bring up, um, the affiliate dashboard just for tube buddy. And then you can actually see for yourself. Um, so from a transparency standpoint, which I've shown this publicly before, but I know a lot of people don't like to believe it, but um, with software as a service, affiliate marketing specifically, you do very well. And it's actually probably the most reasonable and the most, um, it's probably the most reasonable and it's probably the most um, reliable way to make um, legitimate passive income that's also fair to the consumer and the audience because um, like with TubeBuddy, I do like five grand a month. You can see my lifetime earnings down there. And I, I bring this up because uh, this is true passive income because it's software as a service. It's recurring monthly income, but it's also because I've achieved helping lifetime customers um, in terms of installs and paid purchases. And so people only pay for software every month if they get value from the software that they're using every month. Nobody, um, the, and so this is recurring. This is not like one-time commissions, it's recurring. So that's lifetime commissions. Now, I have other um, affiliate uh, commissions too. I mean, even Kajabi, I use that for my own business. Kajabi, I do maybe 1800 a month. So it's significant. And so like YouTube ad revenue is what too, too many people care about YouTube ad revenue. I get it, uh, but- like, and that's still not bad, but too many people care about YouTube ad revenue when YouTube allows multiple opportunities to monetize. Um, and you can do really well, um, with avenues outside of YouTube and then it's practical. And then you could look at it from this perspective. I look at it as you should think about the things you have to fund and in real life, if you have a nine to five job, instead of being a, um, someone who diversifies their income streams as a content creator, if you have a nine to five job, you're trying to fund your lifestyle, your taxes, your business or ambition, and your savings and retirement from a single income source. That's unreasonable. You're trying to fund like, and then you still want to be able to jump on opportunities as they arise. So you have six things you're trying to do and you're doing it with what, one income stream? called a nine to five job. That's unreasonable. That's insanity. Think about it. Oh, I'm going to pay for my cost of living and lifestyle. That's all right. You're going to also fund 
your passion, your project, your business. That's two. You're going to pay your taxes. That's three. You're going to try and save some money for a rainy day. That's four. You're going to try and invest in your retirement. That's five. And then you still hope to have money that if an opportunity arises, you can do something about it. That's six. You're trying to do six things on one income. That's insanity. That's insanity. But everybody tries to do it, right? And then they think entrepreneurs are crazy. You think entrepreneurs are crazy. Try trying to do three, four, five, six things on one income source. That's insanity. That's nuts. So let's probably not think that that's a reasonable thing to do. So part of, and then then what do people do? They get a second income source. They start making money on YouTube or Twitch or TikTok. Then they start making money. And then instead of keeping two income streams, what do they do? They quit their nine to five job and they go down to one income stream that's less reliable in many cases. That's not reasonable either. So the thing is to build multiple income streams. So as you guys can see, I don't rely on AdSense alone. And I don't rely on brand deals alone to live off of. And then I don't rely on affiliate revenue alone. And then I don't rely on my own business by itself. I use all of these things and then other streams on top of that. And so I have income streams that are specifically to fund different things I want to do or to happen in my life. And then I try to increase and raise those income streams. And that's the way that I figured out to do it is what if I dedicate an income stream to help fund the payment of my taxes? I can estimate what that's going to look like so I can go that route. Okay. What if I use an income stream to specifically fund um, paying for the cost of uh, running my business? Okay. Well, my case, it takes maybe one to two different income streams to accomplish that. So it's like, okay. And then my lifestyle, well, my lifestyle can be accomplished with one of my income streams. I could tie it to one of my passive income streams. So, okay, that's uh, all right. That's a reasonable thing to do, to do it off of one or two of those. Oh, I can fund my retirement account off of an income stream. So, okay, let's build out that. Let's get that number up. Oh, and then holding some money to invest in the future if an opportunity comes up. Yeah, I can find an income stream to squirrel away from that. So uh, building multiple income streams, especially ones that can be passive, one that can be evergreen, one that can be recurring revenue, uh, those usually make the most sense to do um, and would be the most reasonable thing to do. Um, and so the the thing that I would advise you on is to really think of YouTube like a business but then I think beyond that, you need to think about, okay, what, what things are I trying to fund with my money? Everything that I need to fund with my money should have a dedicated income stream that provides for it. So like when people talk about um, business, something that is not taught to content creators and artists and musicians and performers and dancers is the fact that you, have a, you, need, you need financial literacy. You will have to learn about not only making money, because making money, people think that their financial education stops at, okay, I'm now making a high enough income. I'm making enough money to take care of all my other problems. And, oh, I'll hire smart people to help me. It doesn't work that way. One, you have to learn, even when hiring smart people to help you, you have to learn how to hire talent or you'll get screwed, you'll get cheated, you'll get scammed. That's a fact. So that's another part of it. So talent acquisition is not a skill that we're just born with in terms of knowing who to hire. We're not born with that. You have to learn it, usually trial and error, usually the hard way or through coaching. And that's, that's really difficult to do. And then you have to learn resource management. If you grow up without resources, it's unlikely that you have a natural gift and talent 
for resource management if you grow up without resources, unless you play a lot of video games. <laughs> like it's, it's very unlikely that you learned resource management and uh, strategic thinking, strategic planning, unless you grew up playing video games. Uh, if you grew up poor, that's the best, the, like managing resources in the fantasy world is the, the, the thing that uh, taught you how to do it. <laughs> so uh, resource management, very challenging. Um, team leadership is something that uh, some people innately have that talent and ability. Other people have to learn it. And you you usually make a lot of mistakes along the way. And unfortunately, um, those mistakes don't only affect you. They affect the people that you're responsible for. So um, this is something that's overlooked in our space, in our community. And that's why later you have people uh, that come, you know, your beloved favorite content creator. Turns out that they might be a crappy boss. And then people are really mad at them because they have all this money. They have all this power. They have all this privilege. And, oh, why aren't they treating people right? It's like, well, what, what training manual do you think came for uh, YouTube content creators, TikTokers, podcasters, Twitch streamers? What, what, what man, do you think that when we became successful or we made money that they handed out an HR manual of how to do it and how to manage people? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And a lot of these people also never came up through structure and never came up through a corporate job. They came up usually from the working class. So uh, if, you, if you take a working class person, they become successful they are in a leadership position, having never done it, they literally can almost only make mistakes and they can almost only initially fail the first three years of doing it. How else will they learn? Now, the problem with that is that the people that they're responsible for end up being some collateral damage in that. And then that's where a lot of these uh, stories and these things come from. But it's also, if you decide to work for an entrepreneur that doesn't have a formal background because you decide you want to be in the creator economy ecosystem, you have to know that you're working for a professional amateur. If you work for a content creator, you're working for a professional amateur. You should have no expectation that you have the same work environment, work standards, and HR as if you work for a Fortune 500 company just because they're pulling in big bucks and because they're famous. Do not have the expectation that they know what they're doing. That's not a reasonable expectation for you to – you're working for a startup. You're working for a startup. Startups have a notorious culture of flying by the seat of their pants, making it up as they go, moving fast, and breaking things. Do not work for a content creator if what you are looking for is security. I say that as someone who hires people. I say that as hires, someone who hires people. If you want to work for a content creator, do not have any expectation of security and stability, continuity, and do not sit there thinking you're going to have the healthiest, funnest, least toxic work environment that there is. And that's not to give content creators a pass on morals or ethics. And I think, and to be honest with you, I don't really, it's not my business and I don't really care. I'm trying to tell you the truth. You don't have to agree with it. You should want and think and hope for things to be better or advocate for things to be better. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You are working for people who have no formal degree and no formal background in business and are making it up as they go and are learning along the way. And if you think you're going to be protected and taken care of by someone who is just figuring it out and like failing their way up um, largely unintentionally, that's a really unreasonable thing to have uh, and expect from being employed by somebody who became famous on the internet. And that's their skill set. No offense to anybody and not to demean uh, my fellow content creators, but let's, let's be very real here. Very few content creators have a corporate background. Very few content creators 
even think or consider HR. They're thinking about how to next make the next viral video. They're thinking about how to make the next viral video. They're not thinking about um, the, the company healthcare plan. It's not their priority. And maybe you think it should be, but if you do think that, you should probably try building a business and seeing if that ends up being where you go first because it probably will not be. So that's that's the issue. Um, Malevolent Elephant um, says, then how do you hold them accountable, ethically speaking? Yes, I don't know because I'm not an ethics major. I'm not an ethics major. I'm not a lawyer that has a degree in background ethics. I have no idea, and frankly, I have no interest in it. I have. I, I'm just saying that. I know that's not a popular thing to say. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm also not going to pretend to be emotionally invested in it because my answer is, if you are overly concerned about it. I know you're not malevolent elephant because um, you're a content creator. I'm saying anyone overly invested in that probably should not work in this ecosystem because it is not conducive to what their emotional needs and financial needs are. They should work a stable nine to five job and not work in startup culture and not work under a content creator that is not like a, a, a truly strict corporate media company type entity because it is not the, if you're, if your concern is that, this is not the environment to play in, to be very real with you. And that sounds exclusionary and gatekeeping. I'm just telling you that that is not where the culture is. That is not what the meta is. And the thing is, in attempting to do it, you're not attempting to also do your job then. You're not attempting to do your best work or do your job. You're not intended to make the best product for the viewers and for the customers if your primary concern is that. And I'm not saying that it's not okay to have those concerns or to ask those questions or to be concerned about ethics. I'm telling you that the reason that that is not the forefront of content creator's mind is because the thing at the forefront of a content creator's mind is how do I make the best content for my audience? And therefore, a lot of them should be hiring HR managers and using concierge HR services and outsourcing that thing because they are not competent and capable. A, a, a content creator does not have the emotional and intellectual bandwidth, capacity, experience, and or talent 99.9% .9 of the time to be an HR manager and to worry about accountability and ethics concerns. There are people who have training. Do you realize that there's entire college courses, multiple college courses you have to take that are dedicated to that? Having the expectation that that's a content creator's education, expertise, priority, or that they would be good on it is nonsensical but is not nonsensical to think that a person that's making millions of dollars should have outsourced that. On the other hand, someone probably under the age of 30 that is running a business for the first time has also no formal training or understanding to outsource that. And largely, they're making handshake deals with people because they have no formal business background. So I'm saying that if you're expecting people to be geniuses and also to think about what mostly affects you and your concerns and to have HR at the top of their mind, when you're literally talking about someone who probably in their 20s went viral by accident, you do not have a reasonable framework or expectation of the person that you're working for. And that's probably a mistake. And you probably are best served working for someone else and in a different industry and in a different employment framework because this is not in your best interest. And that's like, and that's the truth because you are working for professional amateurs with a limited scope 99.9% .9 of the time in terms of a limited scope 
of their business acumen outside of their framework of expertise. Their business acumen is limited to the scope of building a brand, monetizing a brand, catering to an audience, and at best, negotiating their brand deals and doing product development, which is already a lot of versatility and hats off to the creators who have at least that ability. But you are literally now asking them to be good at 12 things when the six that they're good at is probably already an unreasonable stretch and already makes them a unicorn. It already makes a creator a unicorn to be good at the six or seven things they need to be good at to be a successful creator. Most people under 35 cannot do that and also be good at the things that make them excellent leaders, which is why most of them are not in that capacity. And the ones that are smart enough to recognize that bring on help and bring on a management team or an HR team or hire a company that specifically does that. The same way they hire companies to do their brand deals, the repurposing of their content, um, or other aspects of their business if they're smart, or do the financial side of their business, hiring a um, fiduciary or a financial advisor. Um, sometimes they also get somebody specifically to handle accounts receivable, accounts payable, and payroll if they're smart. Um, but a lot of creators are not. Even large top-tier creators still write personal checks to people who do work for them, still pay directly out of pocket, do cash, don't use contracts, don't use lawyers. And that's just because, again, these are people at a professional level. They're still playing the game like amateurs, largely because they're young. They haven't been taught. They don't have the formal education or background. And because it hasn't been a problem for them up until now. And I'm just telling you that deciding to work for somebody like that, those people might be in a slight bit of naivete. But also choosing to work for them if what you need is stability is also naive. So Hermit Samurai says, about outsourcing, I deal with that most uh, that most outsource companies treat their employees like crap and they only care about their targets or their contracts. Saying that that's most without empirical data is borders on being irresponsible to say that because the thing is, we can't say that most of them, you can say most of the ones you've dealt with are that if that's what you're saying, which is fine because that's your experience and that's fine to say that. But to say that in general is a bigger generalization that might be a little bit more irresponsible. I'm generalizing when I talk about content creators, but we also can back that up with a little bit of evidence and data as well. But um, if you want to believe that route, I would say that if you're just assuming that what everyone cares about is the bottom line, the contracts, I, I would ask this question. Well, it would be nice to think that everyone cares about their employees. Aside from people who hire friends and family directly, it's largely not true because we are talking about strangers until they're no longer strangers to you, right? And I say this as someone who was an employee once who left their jobs because they didn't feel like they were being respected. And a lot of times I dealt with disrespect. I dealt with casual racism. I dealt with not being acknowledged for my accomplishments. There's a lot of reasons I left uh, the nine to five world. So I understand it. I respect that. I understand why people feel they're deserving of better. But here's the thing. If we're just going to be this most cynical we can, which is what people are doing, by the way, people are being mad cynical. If we're going to be cynical and we're going to say people only care about money and the bottom line, then why don't we assume that directly going in and act accordingly? Why do we keep making the assumption that it can or should be better? If we are going to go ahead and then go into the cynical realm of 
they only people only care about their targets. They care about their money. They care about their profits and their bottom line. Why do we not approach things ruthlessly and rationally and advocate on our own behalf, not from the position of expecting care or empathy? Why don't we then also align ourselves to self-interest then? If we align ourselves to self-interest in our endeavors and we don't expect that we're going to be treated well, we expect that it's going to be a transactional relationship, then we're going into it theoretically as cynical as that is. And I'm asking the question. I'm not saying we should. I'm not saying we should. I'm asking the question. If we're going to be that cynical and say, no one's going to care about me as an employee, no one's going to care about me personally as an individual, if we're being that cynical about it, then why wouldn't you just align yourself to the cynicism and then say, then I'm not going to be emotionally invested and I'm not going to expect better and I'm going to make this relationship transactional, but I'm going to do it on my terms and I'm going to put myself in the position of leverage on that transaction. If it's a transactional relationship, it's a transactional relationship. If it's just business and it's not personal and you're not going to emotionally invest in care about your employer or about the customers, the clients, the viewers or whatever, and you're going to care about your bills being paid and those things, why not be a purely transactional relationship? Why make it personal? Why make it emotional? Why expect empathy, but then why give it at the same time if you're going to be cynical? And I'm asking that as a question. I'm asking that question because if you're not going to be cynical, then it's about your own standards. Regardless of how you're treated, you're not going to make it the customer's problem. Regardless of how you're treated, you're going to do the best job that you're capable of regardless of what the outcome is for you because you will not deviate from your personal standards of how you operate and what your ethics are. Your ethics theoretically are not predicated on other people honoring the agreement or treating you well You because being a good person is not contingent on whether other people are good or honorable or noble. Being a good person is not with the condition or the expectation that other people are good. It is doing it because it is the right thing to do, not because it will be returned in kind. If being good only was predicated on reciprocity, on getting treated well, that is the only reason to do well, to be good, then there would be no good in the world. So doing the right thing or being a good person is predicated on doing it on principle exclusively, not on whether or not you are rewarded compensated or receive any reciprocity that is the non-cynical version of that answer which means it has nothing to do with it but it does mean you are in a position to be taken advantage of it is meaning you are in a position to be leveraged it does mean that you won't always get what you deserve but the thing is if you're not being cynical you know that anyway and you persist anyway because of your own principles and your own standards but that's just my point of view on that is that you can take the cynical approach or you can look at, well, what are my values and am I going to operate from my values regardless of other people's choice and whether they share those values? And that's a decision that someone has to make even knowing that it won't always feel good or, or not. Or they could not make that and they could go the much more transactional, cynical or purely um, self-interested, ruthless route. And I'm not saying that either of those things are right or wrong. I'm saying that it's a choice that you have to make and you have to do what makes sense for you because there will be different phases in your life and different relationships in your employment, especially if you work in a nine to five where that's going to be a real choice. Like if you work a nine to five job, you will be leveraged. You you have to understand that. Like I said, I, I've been in a situation in a nine to five job to where it's like, yep, I'm going to ignore this casual racism today because I'm going to get a paycheck. Like that's just the truth. 
that's what you have to put up with, or you choose not to put up with it and you leave if you're in that position. Sometimes even if you're not, sometimes it's not even your choice. So I'm just addressing the reality because again, it's not about what I think or what I feel or about what I believe in or what I would do or what I think should be done because I don't control everyone. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think in that regard. The reality of the world, the reality of the business is, and that's why I'm trying to See, this is the stuff that no one will share with you. This is the stuff no one will tell you because then they have to be judged on their morals or hold to other people's standards or people project onto them or people make assumptions of like, oh, this is how you think the world should be. I'm telling you the truth that no one will tell you. I'm telling you how it is. I'm telling you that here is the most reasonable version of what you can do about it that is in your control because you cannot control other people. You cannot control other people. Um, and this is a painful lesson, by the way. Like you, this is a painful lesson. Um, so what chef says in my nine to five, I often get told I'm a great leader, but if I could ever move to full-time YouTube, would it make sense to outsource so I can focus on the creative side? Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes sense to focus on the creative side. More content creators should stop trying to do things that they are not best in class, world-class at, um, or don't have the potential to be and should focus on the thing that is they're really good at, which a lot of them, the thing that content creators should be focused on is they should be focused on making the best content possible for their audience, having the most clear creative vision and serving the audience. And they should compartmentalize the rest of things and outsource them to people that are more talented than them, pay them well for that and keep loyalty in their ecosystem because it is cheaper to retain good quality talent and workers than to replace them. It is cheaper to retain good quality people. It's cheaper to retain good quality people than to replace them, I swear to you. It's cheaper to retain than to replace. And it's not even close. So like, if, if you could go full-time, outsource the things you are not good at, outsource the things you don't like doing, and outsource the things that you are not, um, that, like, that you're not qualified to do in the first place. So as quickly as possible, I would argue. So uh, Giorgio, I think that's how I would pronounce it, Giorgio, uh, says, Roberto, I love your videos and channel. I have a question. Why is YouTube taking down my videos and other creators' uh, videos are still up? I have no idea. Um, I don't have context on that. I don't know what your videos are, unfortunately, and I don't know uh, why yours would be specifically or exclusively targeted. It... Um, it um, is something that you might want to directly ask Team YouTube about if you feel like your videos are unfairly being taken down and others are not. So um, I would I would look into that. What Chef says, tired of my nine to five uh, this year or one way or another, I'd like to lay a foundation for setting up running my own business. So um, what a lot of people do is they don't actually go YouTube full-time, uh, or at least I didn't do it that way. The way I did it was I became a freelancer and I went full-time freelancing and that led to being able to do YouTube and then expand and build other revenue streams. Nine to five job, the thing about it is you have a guarantee of the outcome. If you do anything outside of that, you don't have a guarantee of the outcome. Another thing I recommend some YouTubers do, and I tell them this, a lot of big YouTubers won't tell, they'll tell you, go all in on YouTube, go all in on your passion, risk it all. Most of those YouTubers are in their 20s. Most of those YouTubers don't have kids, aren't married, whatever, when they say that or when they did it. And that doesn't make sense for everybody. The thing that would make the most sense is if you hate your nine to five job, start by getting a better nine to five job. 
Use the part-time income that you have with YouTube or freelancing to know that your income won't be zero while you're looking. I don't know if it works in a pandemic that way right now, to be honest with you, but I would recommend that somebody who doesn't like their nine to five job, get a better nine to five job that lets them do remote work and have time freedom. And then use that to be able to push aggressively more into YouTube or into other revenue streams, slowly get that built up. And then if you leave that nine to five job, I would then get a, either a part-time job or do gig work on the side that is cash flow gig work. And then you're still multiple income streams and then slowly let YouTube grow and yet your uh, creative work grow and overtake that. But I don't believe in lessening the number of revenue streams outright. I think that you go from a nine to five job you hate to a nine to five job you don't hate that maybe either pays better or offers remote work. And then you have more time freedom and use that to build YouTube or another income stream or side hustle or freelance. And then you don't even eliminate a stable income altogether. You go to either a part-time job with remote work and time freedom, or you go to gig work, which is guaranteed cash flow. Because then you're not reliant on YouTube and how ad revenue or views are going up and down because it's too inconsistent. And that's the thing that no big YouTuber will probably tell you. Most big YouTubers tell you to pursue the YouTube dream, cheerlead you. They might tell you you can do it. Um, I, as a YouTube coach, would be in my best interest as a coach to tell you that, and I won't. I will tell you the most practical thing to do is to add to income streams rather than take away. I will tell you the most practical thing is not to go all in on YouTube if you are not, if you're not in your 20s or a, a young adult teen um, whose parents are going to take care of them, <clears throat> if you don't have resources already, if you don't have money saved up already, it's not practical to go all in on YouTube. It's not a reasonable thing to do. It's more likely going to turn out badly. Telling you otherwise would be a really good way for me to sell YouTube courses It'd be a really good way to tell, sell you YouTube courses and tell you to quit your nine to five job. I'm not going to do that because that's not a reasonable thing to do. Most of you should, especially if you're, yeah, you have a family, you have responsibilities, or you're in your 30s, the most reasonable thing to do is to get a nine to five job you don't hate, remove financial stress, gain time freedom game time freedom and then use that to create more financial leverage and use that time freedom to freedom to push more aggressively on your YouTube goals and then make that viable by diversifying the way you make your money and not relying on inconsistent AdSense revenue and then scale back from that nine to five job either by going part-time in the same job or moving into a different situation or more time freedom or something else and then if you ditch that income stream altogether, replace that income stream with gig work, either through freelancing or by doing gig work like DoorDash or something like that. So that is the most reasonable version of doing this that I, I can come up with. So Flip Classroom Tutorial says, love what I do, teach and um, ed tech integration, family, kids, household thing. And so I'm thankful to get to combine my creator outlet with my day job, agree with adding income streams. Oh, yes. It's uh, it's very it's very important and reasonable. Um, I think most of the background on doing this whole thing in the YouTube dream thing largely comes from uh, people 
um, that are younger. And it's no offense to anybody, no offense to younger people, younger millennials, Gen Z, nothing like that. I'm 37. I'll be 38. I'm coming from the perspective of someone who does not have the, did not have that luxury. Like, okay, I did not have that luxury. And also I came up in a different time. Uh, back in my day, everything was harder. Like, yeah. So um, I came up in a different time and um, I understand the financial ramifications of, um, you know, leaving a steady income behind and it doesn't work out for the majority of people who try to do it. So I came up with the most reasonable answer that I could come up with uh, for people who, you know, are not young and can't YOLO it and fall back on their parents, you know? Um, so that's like, you know, so that's the, uh, so that's what I believe in is I, I have to give you the most reasonable version of it. So, you know, this is, so, you know, um, I, I feel like it's the most reasonable version of advice. It's obviously not the only path and it's not the only situation that exists, but this is, this is from my perspective in terms of, um, what can be financially practical and viable, um, across the board, usually in most situations. It's also, again, why, like, I, again, I'll transparently share stuff with you that other creators won't in terms of things like my revenue, for example, right? So uh, for me, um, the January slump hits and I'm only down by um, small percentages in terms of uh, CPM and RPM rates. Mine are pretty high. Um, in general, my CPMs uh, tend to be uh, pretty high. In fact, you guys, um, you probably can see this better if I go um, more this way or, um, yep, here we go. So yeah, you guys can see this a little bit better here. Um, CPMs, let me see if I can move this over so that it just makes more sense. Um, Nah, I can't arrange it the way that I want to. Like, I, it doesn't let me customize this the way that I would want to. Um, but here's the thing. A lot of you worry way too much about views. What I worry about is playback-based CPMs. You all worry about views way too much. And everyone assumes that um, all views are equal and just getting more views would make you more money. It's actually not true. Um, so if you look at RPMs, that's the take-home revenue uh, per 1,000 views. So if we uh, compare that with um, the playback-based CPMs, um, we can see that this is my aggregate average for the last 28 days. And I'm not getting a ton of uh, views right now because I haven't been uploading. I took like 50 days off and then I just started uploading again. So that'll rebound and that'll go up. But the thing is, think about it. I don't need it to be that many views to think about it. Um, 125,000 monetized playbacks equals $2,300 in revenue. How many views do I really need to make good money, right? Um, my situation is different. And why? Because I have these high CPM videos. Look at um, this video. This video has almost a $50 CPM, $23 RPM per thousand views. Thousand views on this video is worth more, even if it gets less overall views than another video. So why would I worry about how many views something gets when I can worry about its earning potential per view instead? And then I can maximize on that because getting two times or three times as many views to only make half as much money 
um, is not nearly as practical or worthwhile when you really look at it. So I, I consider that. Um, and so I think about that from a traffic targeting standpoint of like, hmm, well, why not push the thing that earns you more, you know? Instead of worrying about pushing my newest videos, I don't worry about pushing my newest videos. I would rather retweet or put in my newsletter or put in my community tab something that has a higher uh, CPM playback. I mean, sometimes I do want my new videos to perform because optically that looks very good or maybe there's a sponsor and so it'd be good to do that. So it's not that I only will push the videos that um, have the highest earning potential, but I would recommend for creators who do need to make money, and a lot of you do, you need this to better your situation, better your family. It's like if you analyze your videos based on their earning potential rather than just exclusively the vanity metrics of being satisfied with the views, you then identify categories of videos that you could make that have the ability to earn more money and it will earn more money faster than just getting more views on things that earn less money. So there's a, and then evergreen content as the ability to make money in perpetuity. Your highest earning videos may not even be your newest videos. It might be videos that just um, have the ability to earn money indefinitely over time. And so that might be, I mean, this is a video that still earns money um, a year after upload. There are videos that I have that um, still earn money two years after I uploaded them. Like, so there's a there's a very practical version of approaching YouTube versus just purely a romantic version of approaching YouTube. And again, most creators don't share their revenue. They don't share their CPMs and RPM values. I've, I've shared that publicly and I've shared what individual videos make and things like that. So, um, you know, and like I said, I've shown things like my affiliate dashboard. So like, you know, uh, for me, I, I don't mind being transparent about this stuff. It's just that you have to take it with a grain of salt because your mileage may vary. You may not be able to do this based on different specifics of your niche, your category, your circumstances one way or another. So th there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, Jorvan asks, any suggestions on how to build a leadership development channel even when it's saturated? I don't think it's saturated. It's certainly not saturated um, by people that have your background. So I would not uh, worry about it. What, what are my suggestions? I would, here's what I would do. If you're worried about it, like here's what I would do. I'd find leadership videos that have over a million views because if you get even 1% of their success, you're getting 10,000 views on a video. And if you're a smaller channel, and you're starting out, that's gold That's gold for you. So I would just look at the topic that has a million views on it already. I'd look at an individual video topic that has a million views on it, and I would find five ways to make a video about that topic because if even if, if you were even 1% as successful as a video with a million views and you aren't getting views now, then you have five videos that have a possibility at 1% success of that success to make... 10,000 views a piece on them. And that's a really healthy start on those five videos. And you can find more topics like that. So I would just source topics and look at what in leadership already has over a million views. Okay, cool. Those people are bigger than me. What if I'm 1% as successful as them? Is that so unreasonable? Oh, if I'm 1% as successful and on trying to compete on this million view topic, I'd get 10,000 views. 
if I'm 1% successful. If I'm not getting views and I'm not getting 10,000 views and upload, I might as well make five videos on that topic and try and get 10,000 views per upload. That's what I would do. And just a thought, that's just how I would approach it. I don't worry about things being saturated because here's the thing. There's no such thing as saturation in YouTube. You know why? There's no saturation in YouTube of an abundance of quality. There's no saturation of quality. There's no saturation of representation. And there's no saturation on a different variation and a different take of a topic, but breaking the meta of that topic. So saturation is a joke because... Um, what YouTube is saturated with is mediocre content from people who've never put in years to get good at something. That's what YouTube's saturated with. YouTube is majority saturated because 90% of creators never get 10,000 subscribers. Why? Because everyone tries to make content that is a zero barrier to entry that requires no level of proficiency, skill, learned experience, or lived experience. Everyone tries to do things that are a zero barrier to entry. That's why it feels saturated. And most people's executions of it are mediocre. That's why there's no problem in being YouTube being quote unquote saturated because it's saturated with a lot of mediocre content. It's not saturated with people who want to do exceptional work. It's not saturated with people who want to be consistent. It's not saturated with people who want to put in the effort to do the highest quality. It's not saturated with people who have expertise or experience at a high level. It's not saturated with people who've done the thing that they want to do. It's not saturated with people who have a decade of experience starting or even five years of experience starting. It's not saturated with people who come in with the with good quality production values. It's not saturated with people who come in and put on a very good on-camera presence as and are consistent. It's not even saturated with people who don't have a presence or a personality and try really, really hard consistently to improve it one video at a time. YouTube's not saturated with people who are willing to make a hundred videos just to get good and not be a scrub anymore. So YouTube's not saturated. It's a bad joke to think that YouTube is saturated because it's not saturated with people making quality content. It is saturated with people making mediocre content. That's the only thing it is saturated with. YouTube is only saturated with mediocre content from people who have not bothered to be consistent at anything. And I know that's harsh. I, that sounds borderline pretentious. It sounds borderline condescending or arrogant. I want you to debate me on the merits of that when you think about the content that you've seen on YouTube that doesn't come from established creators and make the comparison and make the comparison. Even outside your own content, I want you to think about the channels you've seen under 10,000 subscribers and then think about that. I want you to think about the niches of gaming, the niches of vlogging, the niches of commentary, the uh, niches of budget reviews, the niches of reaction. And I'm not dunking on those niches. I'm telling you that most people try to do those things. Why? They cost them next to $0. Why? Because everyone has a gaming console. Everyone has a smartphone and can do commentary. Everyone has a smartphone and can do reaction videos every, and not have to make original content. Everyone tries to do the thing that has the lowest barrier to entry and the lowest averaged quality that they can find. No one tries to be exceptional. And that's the difference. And that is the difference. And I'm being harsh because I am being real. This is the stuff that nobody will say because it is not relatable. It is not 
relatable. It is not likable. It is not agreeable. It is contrarian. It is harsh. It is brutal. And um, it's, it's not what anyone ever wants to hear. And I hate to break it to you, but larger, large creators are largely successful in um, relatability, likability, agreeableness, and being approachable. I wasn't necessarily good at those things in high school, so it's a little late for me. Um, so, but all joking aside, all joking aside, and I don't say that to be critical or to dunk on creators. That is a very way, a good way to be successful in any aspect and dynamic of life. You will be more successful in life. You'll be more successful in life if you're likable, approachable, agreeable, and relatable, which is not as good for a lot of people that are more awkward or introverted, or it's like, it's not as easy. You won't score as high marks on that, right? Uh, if you're shy, you won't score as much high marks on that. If you're a contrarian, um, you won't score as much high marks on that. Um, if you're in any way neurodiverse, you won't score as much high marks on that, right? So there, there's a there's an archetype to the type of people who are usually successful in the YouTube meta, uh, which is unfortunate, or at least successful at a very, very high level. But a lot of it will come down to um, agreeableness, likability, relatability, approachability, um, a sense of um, outward humility. And unfortunately, it comes at the price of um, actual authenticity versus the projection of authenticity, largely through um, you know things like virtue signaling, right? And I don't hold it against anyone because it's proven to be what you, it's what one does to be successful. It's also the same in corporate America, by the way. It's the same in corporate America um, where through that agreeableness, that's how you become a yes man, a yes woman. The likability is the navigation of office politics. The humility is how um, you always are spoken highly of and referred and recommended. It, it's the same game, um, navigating that um, social hierarchy, social ladders. It's the same thing in high school. It's the same thing in corporate America. And it's largely, unfortunately, become the same thing in YouTube. And um, uh, and while I feel some kind of way about that, it, I can't hate on it because it, it clearly works. It, it clearly works. But I, I also do think that um, it does set the example of um, it sets the tone and example of the fact that people feel the need to to in many ways be less authentic these days. Um, and that's not how it started out. YouTube started out very differently than that, and it was very much about authenticity. Uh, so Hannity Bailey, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing and being honest and open with your finances and income. You are very welcome. I uh, appreciate you. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's, um, yep. Uh, what the chef says, Roberto, reason I always tune in and am available is student of your work is your honesty. Uh, best real genius advice at channel. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, Marilyn Schatz says, I've been following you since the early Periscope days. You've always been real and honest. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I try. I think that largely I I've, I became jaded at um, corporate America and uh, nine to five jobs and the fact that you had to wear a mask and you had to be agreeable or basically be fired at any given point or, or to get ahead or to get promoted. You had to navigate the office politics 
and be likable um, and agreeable and a yes man or yes woman. And it's like, um, you do that. I mean, I didn't start the content creation thing until I was like almost 30 or something. So like, um, you know, like a decade in the workplace, you, you get burnt out on that. Um, in my case, you become a little bit jaded, you become cynical and you can't take it anymore literally can't take it anymore and you leave. And so in coming to uh, the internet, I wanted to be myself. I wanted to be myself. So I've like never put on a persona. I did not create a character, which is fine. Some people do that to create emotional distance uh, and set boundaries. And I respect that. Um, I did not, and I could not create a character to be on the internet because um, I could not deal with the duality that came from the corporate America side of hiding myself in that way and not being seen. Um, it was not a mental health um, journey that I could continue on. <laughs> so that's not something that was for me. Um, so uh, for me, I had to be able to find a way to be my authentic self on the internet. And that um, you know largely became um, the route that I went in my YouTube journey. And um, I'm very happy with the fact that I was able to build a community that respects me for it, that likes me for it, and understands that um, I'm blunt, I'm direct, I'm candid, I tell it like it is, I don't pull punches. And the thing is, um, you know, I think a lot of people, and here's the thing, even when people bring up the questions of ethics in the creator economy or entrepreneurship or business, and I get it because, again, I was an employee too. I was an employee too, but I respect the 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 hustle of being an entrepreneur and again i work i work with people directly that i know and i like and i trust so it's a little different than hiring strangers so it's different for me but the 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 thing is not everyone wants to hear it and everyone wants you to these days at least in my opinion in my opinion these days everyone wants you to virtue signal and be rah rah and do this and everyone wants a crusader for their cause everyone wants to sign up crusaders for their cause. And I don't, I don't think that that's the most practical or appropriate thing. Um, I kind of have this um, internal philosophy of, hmm, don't join, don't join. Because again, I'm 38 years old. I've learned the hard way. Smartest thing anybody could do is, hmm, don't join, don't join. Don't be a crusader. Don't be a foot soldier in anybody's cause. Um, align yourself to your own interest and do so with the least harm to yourself or others um, and just try to be a respectable person and keep to your own code, hold your own values and principles. Do not let other people try to strip you of your individuality. And the best way to protect your individuality is a very simple rule. Do not join. <laughs> um, again, hard lessons in life to learn. Now, not everyone agrees with that. And you will not be shocked to know that the people who disagree with that want you to join something. So I, I've kind of got into that cynical place in life over the years of just like, you know what, um, you keep your own counsel, you keep your own code, you do what you believe is right. And with the knowledge that you have at the time, you try to treat others the way that you would like to be treated. You try to have your own sense of um, fair mindedness and you don't let other people try to tell you what's right or wrong. You try to hear them out you try to give people the benefit of the doubt but you ultimately let yourself be the judge of how you think you want to move forward because you're the one who has to live with it other people who want you to do something aren't going to be there when you have to live with the consequences of the choices that they make for you 
that's the truth. Harsh as it is, other people will want to offer you consequences for your choices or your beliefs, but they won't live them with you and they won't go through it with you. They're happy to come in and tell you what to do. They're happy to come in and judge, but they are not happy to go ahead and sit there and suffer through it with you. When it's all said and done, you'll be left alone sitting there with the consequences on your own. So you better act accordingly and you better make them sober. You better make as many sober choices as you can because people will disappoint you. Again, that's, that's a little dark. That's cynical as hell. That's a little dark, but that's just my take on it. My take on it is that... um my take on it is that you have to find good people in your life. And even then, they'll let you down whether they mean to or not. And the best thing you can try to do is not to hold it against them. But you do need to be aware of that. And you do need to um, measure against yourself and say, okay, um, I can empathize. I can sympathize. I can even choose not to punish people for that. But what I can do is I can be aware of that. And I can make sober choices about how much risk I'm taking on by keeping that person in this category in my life and what boundaries I do and don't set for them and with them and what um, that looks like. Because even if people have good intentions, they can still let you down. So like, it's not enough that they're a nice enough person or a good enough person or that they're well-intentioned. Even good meaning, well-meaning people can disappoint you, let you down or screw up. And so that's like, um, that's a real thing that you have to navigate in your business relationships, your collaborations, your boundaries, your career. A lot of people won't talk about it because it's not fun to talk about. And it's uh, sometimes painful to talk about and remember that that's the case. Um, you also, you can't trust everybody and you need to act accordingly. You need to protect yourself. You have the right to protect yourself. You should do that. Um, and again, these are the things that people won't share. Like, uh, because it's not fun and it's not always a good look to um, say those things out loud, but it's also the truth. And I, I would rather arm you with the truth at the expense of likability to just warn you and put you in a position where you are armed with the knowledge to protect yourself. Because if you don't know better, you can't do any better. And it's a lesson that I wish had been imparted to me when I was much younger because it would have protected me from people and the consequences of trusting the wrong people, you know? So that's that's a whole thing. Uh, Jill Anderson says, I don't think I would enjoy making videos that aren't authentically me. It's just taking some time to build my skills to a point that offers the value that I want the viewers to have. That's the right attitude, honestly, Jill. That's the, that's the right attitude. And yes, with hard work and patience, you will get there. So just keep going, keep putting it out there. Um, and I definitely appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Amanda says, when I was still working, it always seemed to me that there were so many people who wanted to act like they were still in high school. Drama, 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 not everyone, but way too many. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, is it too late to start at 55? Um, so, Johnny, I don't believe it's too late to start at 55. I've known a lot of creators in the community that start in their 50s, some even in their 60s, and have found massive um, success. Uh, so there is that. Um, let's see. Someone says, uh, Tony says we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, uh, to a point, to a point. That's probably, there's probably some truth to that. Um, there's probably a truth to that. 
Marilyn says, I had a bad recent online situation with someone that is always forced to make a video rebutting their lives. Needless to say, this was not how I wanted to start my YouTube career. Oh, that sucks. And um, but here here's the thing. Um, I would not give them any more energy. That's just my uh my personal take is if you've set the record straight, you've put the facts out there, you've put the evidence out there, uh, do not continue um to um go back and forth with them. There's not any value in it. In my opinion, in my opinion, you got to do what you want to do. But um, I just think that there's a point where um, the best thing you can do is just show people who you are, put the facts out there on the record and not give people who want to be that way any more attention or energy or validation. Because uh, it doesn't really do any good. <laughs> so that's just something to think about. This is something to think about. Um Yep, absolutely. So, um, so something, something that I think about that a lot of creators do not talk about secrets they don't share is let me, um, let me give you a, somewhat of a primer when it comes to um, kind of like uh, something I think creators do not share about um, how YouTube uh, fundamentally works. And I can I can show you actually the back end of it. for those of you who are in the live or audience or watching the video replays versus the audio only. Uh, I'll still verbally share this, but I'll, I'll share out loud um, some stuff from the podcast channel itself. This actual YouTube channel for the podcast. So with the with the podcast channel, um, I've like gotten consistent on again. It reminds me of the first time I started YouTube. I didn't really do anything. Started an account in 2009, didn't do anything until 2013 consistently. So I started being consistent at the podcast uh, as of December of 2021. So even though I started this podcast a long time ago, I've never been consistent on it. Never, ever, until now, until now. The results speak for themselves in terms of what YouTube does in views, reach, and it will work for a small channel. And this is live streaming. So it debunks a couple of myths. One, can you grow a channel from live streaming? Yes. Um, does consistency matter more than anything else on YouTube? The numbers don't lie. Yes. Uploading or streaming or whatever, being consistent matters the most out of anything. Uh, is quality over quantity a thing? Not unless you are a spectacle channel filmmaker or you're making larger than life content or you're making a portfolio. Quality over quantity is not real. YouTube is a responsive system. YouTube is a responsive system. The quality over quantity creators are the exception, not the rule. Most people are not in a position to do that type of thing to where quality over quantity matters. And I know quality over quantity creators, but it's preached when it is the exception and not the rule. The most, the most proven path to success, the most reliable path to success on YouTube has always been consistency and consistency plus frequency is quantitative, not qualitative. Consistency and frequency are quantitative and measurable, not qualitative. Quality content is a subjective, emotional, attention-driven variable, and it looks good on paper to just get more views per upload. But you are paid by the number of views that you get in aggregate throughout the month. I want you to remember that. It looks good to get pay, to get more views per upload, but you're paid on how many channel views you get for your 
uploads all together. All together. Um, and Tony, yeah, my videos about AdSense have greater views than the ones about sponsorship, but it doesn't necessarily um, matter because, I mean, the thing is most people think AdSense is the most accessible path and sponsorship is more for a savvy creator, an established creator for the most part. So the thing is, think about it. It is the difference between there are more beginners than there are intermediate or advanced people. So that's all that is, Tony. Um, thank you for the question, but just to clarify, think about it. There are more... AdSense feels more accessible than brand deals, and largely it is at the beginning. There's more beginners than advanced people. Sponsorships are intermediate to advanced creators, not beginner creators. There are more beginners than intermediate to advanced people. That's just a numbers thing. But um, but yeah, going back to this, just remember, you are paid for the number of overall cumulative number of views. You're not paid more just because you get more views on a single upload. Uploading less and getting more views for upload is a vanity, ego-driven way to think about it. And it's good to say quality over quantity when it's really, okay, that's just really about you being satisfied emotionally. Economically, you're paid in proportion to your views. You're paid in proportion to your views economically. That's the truth. So getting more views, even if it means you're getting less views per upload, but more views per month, more views per year is worth more money. And for a lot of you, some someone would say, well, that sounds like really greedy or not thoughtful. If you are someone who is trying to better your life, you have a family or you have employees, you have a responsibility to do what makes the most money um, while still doing things in the best interest of the audience. So a quantitative approach to YouTube would be more reliable for you than a qualitative approach. Consistency would make the most sense because, again, you cannot subjectively determine what people will care the most about. I'll give you a primary example. Uh, this channel's uh, view counts are doing very well for a smaller YouTube channel. Uh, we're getting, um, you know, like uh, 1,794, 1,258, 1,161, 1,160, uh, 2065. These are really good views for a channel that has less than 2,000 subscribers. It's only been consistent since December and it's now in January. Um, so these are really good views, but there are some outlier videos that get less views, um, you know, and so why is that? Well, the quality is consistent. So literally, we're always uh, the same three cameras, the same microphone, the same lighting setup, the same desk, the same background, all of those things, right? So if that's the case, what's determining the difference in our view counts Topic, title, thumbnail, and timing. And I, by timing, I don't even necessarily mean the time I stream or upload, but the timing of what is relevant to people right now. You could argue view velocity of uploads at initial views in the 24-hour cycle, but uh, I, I beg to differ. I don't think it matters anymore for some topics. Now, it does for others. So again, topic, title, thumbnail determine views, perceived value, perceived value of a topic and the total addressable market of that topic determines view counts. And let me just uh, increase the size on this so you can see it more clearly. So like that's what determines view counts, right? Now, um, a lot of people don't understand that. So um, the performance of views is about perceived value and that is expressed in topic, title, thumbnail, and timing exclusively. That's what does it. It's not the quality of the videos and the content because you can't see that until you experience the content. So we can't experience the quality until we've clicked on it, which is decided by the value. 
So that's why quality over quantity doesn't actually work because it's it's a meaningless uh, subjective thing that doesn't happen without us valuing the topic title and thumbnail and the timing determining relevancy to us. So we can't do that. People think quality content, they mistake being relevant for quality content. That's the difference, right? So um, that's that's the problem. And then in terms of what we already saw from the analytics side is that consistency and frequency, aka quantity, largely determines um, some of our capacity to make income. And then if we wanted to measure, if we wanted to measure the quality of our videos, well, in analytics, what we have to do is we have to look at our retention rates and our engagement and our average view durations and our overall watch time and how those things are affected and also our drop-off rates and these other signals on our content. And that's what determines um, our qualitative part is engagement and how the audience responds, audience loyalty metrics, viewer returns, new viewership adoption. Those are the data that we can use to determine the qualitative part of our content not views. Views are about the packaging, relevancy, the value proposition, not quality. That's about attention. There's a difference. Relevancy, attention, that's different than quality. Quality is an experience that you have. And then quantity is scale, the opportunity to duplicate that. It's scalable. So then that determines revenue. So if you think about it, if we go back to YouTube, views are driven by value Watch time is the evaluation and average view duration retention is the evaluation of quality. Conversion to subscribership is indicative of a good quality experience. And quantity scales the opportunity to grow more subscribers and earn more money through frequency and consistency. So we know what drives. So like we know, okay, we increase our views by making quality titles, thumbnails, researching our topics and getting timing and relevancy right. We increase our watch time and average view duration by making well-produced, well-executed content that has a quality experience. We get more subscribers by getting higher levels of average view duration, getting people to watch to the end and getting people to enjoy our content. And we earn more money by making that effective content that got views, watch time, average view duration, and subscribers, we make that more frequently, we make that more consistently, we make that more intentionally, and it will drive up our revenue overall because it will perform. That is the secret of YouTube explained right there. The secret of YouTube is content your audience will value through topic, title, and thumbnail when they see it. That's what they'll click on. If it's a good experience, that will drive watch time and average view durations. We drive people to watch our content a lot and for a long time and enjoy it and make a good experience qualitatively. Quality will drive subscribers. So if you want to talk about success on YouTube, value drives views. Quality doesn't matter over quantity unless you're talking about growing subscribers, but you have to start with value. So value is more important than quality, and then quality drives subscribers, but quantity and in the form of consistency and frequency increases revenue. So value plus consistency and frequency, even if the quality is not as high as it can be, the quality being as high as it can be is a subscriber push. But the value being the right value and giving that value more consistently, I would not be better off making bigger podcast episodes or doing something to make my quality higher or fancy 
than I would just showing up every day. Showing up every day is more successful for my type. But again, it's also your type of content. This is different for every niche, right? This is different for every niche. There are spectacle types of content that value from quality. I mean, but here's the thing. All right, Mark Rober uploads four or five times a year. Are you a NASA engineer? Right, so you're probably not Mark Rober. So that's not going to probably work out for your content if you don't have that, right? Um, Mr. Beast uploads maybe like, what, 20 times a year? Are you making the biggest, best spectacle content, setting world records, doing anything like that, giving away large sums of money, doing the greatest challenges of all time that you can contrive? Do you have a fun cast of characters? Then that's probably not the answer either because that's not your circumstance. If you're in a house, a room, an apartment, the reality is for the majority of YouTubers, what has been proven to work for the overall majority of YouTubers, they've gotten 10,000 subscribers, all the way up to 100,000 subscribers, what has worked is being consistent. What has worked is being consistent. And that is what has done it, and that is what will do it for the majority of people. That's the truth. Hey, Pat, my good friend Pat Flynn, the master of consistency himself. Uh, hey, you're up late, brother, so I am too um, uploading a video as we speak. Yep. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, popping in, Pat. Um, Yvonne says, Roberto, are premieres a good alternative when one is unable to do lives? They can be. They've worked for me on the music channel. They've worked for me on the music channel. What do I think about Facebook monetization? Um, if you can get it, it tends to pay really well. It can pay as good or better than YouTube if you can get it. But um, I don't know how well it converts on other monetization methods. It's debatable. Uh, organic reach is debatable. Um, your mileage may vary. Uh, Nard Villain asked, how long did it take me to monetize the podcast channel? It took me um, December 1st through December 24th. December 1st through December 24th to monetize the uh, podcast channel. I applied on December 24th, was approved by December. Actually, I had to applied on December 23rd, approved by December 24th within 24 hours. So that worked out. That worked out. So yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's like that's one of the the over the like that is the simplification. By the way, I gave you the simplification of YouTube success. Um and um again, overwhelmingly, um, this is what I've just personally found to be true. Um, even on starting new channels, YouTube doesn't suppress new channels, YouTube doesn't undermine new channels, it works out for me. Consistency is the answer. Um, consistency is the answer. Giorgio, you say that YouTube is killing me or removing your content. Like, Giorgio, if you genuinely believe that, if I genuinely believed what, what you believe, I would consider starting another channel in a different niche if I genuinely believe that. Because um, you have one of two options. You have one of two options. You can appeal, like, you have probably three options. You have three options, Giorgio. Because again, I don't know your content. I can't give you context on this. And I understand you're probably just venting in the chat. Here's my honest, harsh answer for you, Giorgio. You either appeal your situation to YouTube directly through the YouTube system in the dashboard, and they agree with your appeals, and they address it. You ask them directly in Twitter publicly at the team YouTube account, and they address it and DM you, and they work it out. Or you go a different route. You keep the same channel, and you make different content that isn't the same as the content that's being removed and you build off of that and you move forward 
and you get past it and you accept that you're playing in their platform and you and that you may not feel like it's fair, but they set the rules and that's how it is because that's the truth. That's reality. It's not about what you think is right. It's not about what you think is fair. It's about what is the reality of what's going to happen here. Or you go another route, you be a crusader, you harp, you fight on it, you make content about it, you try to expose them. And then the reality is there's a 99.9% chance that nothing will change. Or you go a third route. You build a new brand, you start a different channel in a different niche that you like more that is not in jeopardy of having videos removed from YouTube. On a new channel, fresh start so that you leave behind any of the emotional and mental attachment you had to your old situation. Even if it means leaving the old audience and what you built behind, you're starting fresh with all of the previous experience and knowledge and move forward. And you don't like, I know you probably won't like those answers, but those are my answers. My answers are you can appeal YouTube's rulings and accept that you can um, and, and move forward and then maybe they give you an answer. You can change your content on the existing channel and move past it and say, okay, I'm just doing it differently now. You can go down the right of fighting them and they will win. Or you can start a new channel and leave the emotional baggage of the old channel behind. I leave it to you to make a choice about which one of those things you want to do. I'm not trying to seem not sympathetic. I'm trying to be the most realistic with you. Um, and I'm trying to not uh, pander. I'm trying to just tell you, here is the truth. You fight one of these platforms, you will most likely lose. 99.9% .9 of the time, an individual does not win against an institution, does not win against the platform, does not win against the establishment. And it is largely going to be an expenditure of energy that could have been spent in a more productive and fruitful and less frustrating endeavor. No one wants to say that. No one wants to tell you that because that is not what people want to hear, but it is the harsh, unvarnished truth of it. What people like to hear is go, 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 fight, fight, fight. It's unfair what they're doing to you. This is a disgrace. This is a travesty. You should go out there and you scream it from the rooftops. You can do that. It's largely unproductive and it almost never works. And you've seen that with your own eyes. You've seen it time and time again. The most practical thing is to pivot and say, this is not working. I will move to something that is, uh, and I will move to something that is just as or more satisfying that does work. Because in the end of the day, you have to make a decision. Do you want to die on this hill or do you want to live to fight another day and or not have to fight at all and make your peace with it? And I, it may seem unfair because you're like, okay, why am I the only one being punished or whatever? It's like, I have no idea. And I have, I can tell you from personal lived experience that I abandoned the idea of fairness being anything but a made up word a very long time ago, a very long time ago. So I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm not even saying it's okay. I'm saying that the most likely thing is saying, well, my stuff is being removed and someone else isn't, is not going to be a winning situation. You can appeal it. I'm saying you should probably appeal it in YouTube. You should ask them about that. Ask them about that. Try and get a clear answer and response. I am not optimistic. I'm not optimistic, but you should at least try to get a straight answer out of them. I believe you're owed one. If it were up to me, you're owed an answer, 
and they are owed some accountability on why you and not other people. But I, I can tell you that like my memory of high school, college, and the workplace is, well, they're getting away with it. Why am I not getting away with it? Or why aren't we all being punished? Has never worked. The only time that's ever worked is with my parents. Oh, well, like I, I wasn't doing anything different than the other. Like that's the, oh, that's only ever worked on my parents. That's that's only ever worked on my parents. It's never worked for me in school. It's never worked for me at a job. Uh, and, and so I've just kind of given up on it. Like I hate to say it that way, but it's like it's just never worked. So um, apparently my parents were fair minded. So that's uh, that's how that worked out. That's the limited experience I have of fairness is that. OK, that's uh, so, yeah, um, you contact YouTube through your uh, YouTube dashboard on your channel. If there's any option to reach out to support there, you do it that way. Or you tweet at team YouTube and Twitter, and that's it. That's all you got. That's all you got. There's not a support line. We aren't paying customers. Um, so uh, that's that's my thought. And again, I know that's not a satisfying answer for most people is um, – if you feel you're being unfairly treated by a platform that that's not a satisfying answer, I just don't have a better one to be very real with you. I don't have a better one. And I'm not going to be out here a crusader who thinks that like making a change.org position is going to a petition is going to do anything. Cause it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's ne like, no. So I just, I'm like, eh. And I mean, again, it's cynical. It's like not satisfying. It's bitter, but it's like, I'm not going to lie to you that it's just how it's always been. It's how it's always been. I'm not saying that it should be that way. I'm not saying that oh, it shouldn't be better or that it can't, it's just like it's just that I'm not optimistic about um, a lot of it. I'm very cynical about a lot of it um, because in my entire career, I've only seen um, it go certain ways, um, and so I'm just being very real with you about that um, because I don't want to give you false hope. I don't want to give you false expectations. Um, like, I don't want, like, you know, I don't want you to, like, think that, oh, this is going to turn everything around. So that's, you know, so that's the, that's the thing. I don't want to give you the false impression that you'll get your um, content restored when I have... I have like no, I have no realistic way or reason to be optimistic about how that's going to play out. So that's, you know, like, ugh, I need something positive to end us on. <laughs> I need something positive to end us on. Um, what I will say is here's the thing. Here's the good news. Um, if you build a good audience, if you build a good community, if you um, get people who are emotionally very invested in you and the content you make, if you start something new, they'll usually follow along with it. The other thing is if YouTube is taking down your content and you think your content deserves to exist somewhere, here's the other good news. While YouTube is the best po content platform to monetize on, there are other content platforms to share content that you think should exist, whether you get paid for it or not. So you can upload to other platforms. You can upload to Facebook. You can upload to IGTV. You can upload to TikTok. You can upload to Twitter. You can upload to LinkedIn. It's And it's wildly practical to do so. It's wildly practical to do so. I upload my content to other places largely as a hedge against anything that could happen on YouTube as well. 
I believe in being platform agnostic. I believe in making your own website. I believe in having your own blog. I believe in having your own newsletter. I believe in these things because I don't believe in being beholden to platforms that can move the goalpost, that maybe sometimes you do get caught up in a sweep or an algorithm or something that feels unfair. So the thing is, the best thing to do is to use the platforms to build our own platforms, use the platforms to build our own relationships, use the platforms to build our own brand independent of them. And that might mean having to make an email list and a website. And a lot of people are resistant or reluctant to do that. It might mean at some point having the leverage to start some offline business as well. A lot of people are reluctant to do that and want to live off their AdSense. Uh, I believe in being platform agnostic, diversifying your revenue streams. I also believe in decentralizing and diversifying where you place your content. And I also believe in having ownership of your own IP by building it outside of these platforms as well and using them for their traffic. Use the platforms for your advantage instead of giving all your leverage and all of your power over to the platforms. Think about it. What I'm saying here makes a lot of sense when you when you consider that aspect of it. So, um, you know, that's that's something that I think about and and giving your viewers options of how they can support you, giving your viewers options of how they can support you is also the thing that makes the most sense because uh, people will choose their own adventure, so to speak. People will choose their own adventure. Um, and so the more options you give them, um, the more control you can actually have over the experience and then you also can always make sure that you're acting in the interest of your audience and what you guys agree to in terms of like how you want things to be, what you want the culture to be, all of those different aspects of it. So I, I would just keep that in mind as well, is that you always want to put yourself in the position to protect the integrity of your relationship with the audience. That's the thing. And I think that's where we're going to end it uh, this evening. Uh, for those of you who are on the audio only, after the live uh, show ends on the audio side, we actually have a Q&A session for a couple of minutes on the live. So you want to be subscribed to the YouTube channel. But if you're an audio only listener or you're watching the replay, please make sure that you give us a rating and review over in iTunes and Spotify. Or rather, it's Apple Podcasts now and Spotify. It's not iTunes anymore. And if you are still here, make sure you stay tuned for the live experience. Stay awesome. We'll catch you on the next episode. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.